Well, good morning again, everyone. I'm Jeff, and um, I am so stoked about this uh, series that we're doing. Can you tell? This is three weeks in a row. I'm a little tired of my voice. I hope you're not tired, too tired of my voice. Uh, sort of unprecedented for us. We usually with a big preaching team, but I don't get to preach three weeks in a row, but here we are. We're in the series called What is in the Bible and Why? And we're going through the big chunks of scripture. And last time we came through the worship and wisdom literature and the time before that, we talked about the historical books and we are in the prophets now. We're in the book of the prophets and this, can you, I'm so stoked for you because this is the section that throws you off. Everybody makes jokes about Leviticus, like that's rough. But at least in Leviticus, you kind of can see the historical narrative. When you get into the prophets, you're like, I have no concept of what is going on here. And then you kind of skim through like wrath and, and names of ancient cities until you get to a place that says, and then the Lord's going to be merciful to you. And you're like, all right, I got it. Thanks for the word today, God. And so we try to figure out what the prophets are all about. But if you have a Bible in front of you, you're going to want to grab a hold of it and you're going to want to turn to the, the table of contents. And there are a number of prophets in there that we're going to introduce you to. And the best way to introduce you to this, I thought, was to play one more of the Bible Project videos. This you guys, is the best stuff online right now around helping us understand the scriptures. And so I've got a five, we've got a five minute video for you to sit back and enjoy and, and, and listen to. This is the best introduction to the prophets that I've ever found. So here you go. Get your school on. This is good. Ezekiel, Obadiah, Habakkuk. What do these names have in common? Well, they're three of the 15 prophets that have their own books in the Bible. And if you've tried to read these books, odds are you got lost in their dense poetry and strange imagery. But these books are super important for understanding the overall biblical story. So let's talk about how to read the prophets. When I hear the word prophet, I think of a fortune teller, someone who predicts the future. That's what being a prophet means in many cultures, but not in the Bible. While the biblical prophets sometimes speak about the future, they're way more than fortune tellers. How should I think about them? Well, they were Israelites who had a radical encounter with God's presence and then were commissioned to go and speak on God's behalf. Like a representative. Right. And the thing that they cared about the most is the mutual partnership that existed between God and the Israelites. Right. The partnership. God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt and invited them to become a nation of justice and generosity that would represent his character to the nations. And and so this partnership required all Israelites to give their trust and allegiance to their God alone. In the Bible, this partnership's called the covenant. But the leaders, the priests, the kings led Israel astray and they broke the covenant. And so this is where the prophets came in to remind Israel of their role in the partnership. And they did this in three ways. First, they were constantly accusing Israel for violating the terms of the covenant. The charges usually include idolatry, alliances with other nations and their gods, and allowing injustice towards the poor. Ah, so like covenant lawyers. Right. And so second, the prophets called the Israelites to repent, which means simply to turn around. They spoke of God's mercy to forgive them if they would just confess and change their ways. But Israel and its leaders didn't change. Things went from bad to worse. And so that brings us to the third way the prophets emphasized the covenant. They announced the consequences for breaking it, which they called the day of the Lord. Oh yeah, the apocalypse. Visions of the end of the world. Well, sort of. 
The prophets were mostly interested in how God would bring his justice on Israel's corruption and on the violent nations around them. And while explaining these local events, they often used cosmic imagery. Cosmic imagery? Yeah, like Jeremiah. He described the exile of the Israelites to Babylon as the undoing of creation itself. The land dissolves into chaos and disorder, no light, no animals or people. Or Isaiah described the downfall of Babylon as the disintegration of the cosmos. Stars falling from the sky, the sun going dark. For the prophets, when God acts in human history to bring justice, it's a day of the Lord. So the prophets aren't aren't talking about the end of the world. Well, hold on. They're doing many things at once. The cosmic imagery shows how these important events of their day fit into the bigger story of God's mission to bring down every corrupt and violent nation once and for all. The prophets cared about the present and the future, and the cosmic imagery allowed them to talk about both at the same time. Got it. So no matter when you live, the day of the Lord's bad news if you're part of Babylon. But it's good news if you're waiting for God's kingdom. The day of the Lord pointed to the return of the exiles to Jerusalem. And once again, the prophets use cosmic poetry to describe it. They see a new Jerusalem, like a new Garden of Eden, with all humanity living at peace with each other and with the animals. And there's a new messianic king who restores God's kingdom in a renewed creation. Beautiful. So those are the three themes in the prophets. These prophets must have been very powerful, persuasive speakers. Well, some were, but others lived on the margins. They would often perform strange symbolic stunts in public to communicate their message. Like when Ezekiel lay in the dirt and built a model of Jerusalem being attacked by Babylon. Or when Isaiah walked around naked for three years as a symbol of the humiliation of exile. So do people pay attention to them? Not really. The stories in these books show how the prophets were a minority group mostly shunned by Israel's leaders. And their writings were a kind of resistance literature. Most people ignored them, that is, until their warnings came true in the Babylonian exile. And after that, people began to take their words seriously. Yes. The works of these earlier prophets were inherited by later unnamed prophets who studied these texts intensely. They're the ones who arranged the Hebrew scriptures as we know them, including the books of the prophets. Okay. And there's 15 books of the prophets. The big three are Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then there's a collection of 12 smaller prophetic works unified on a single scroll. And in each of these books, you'll read stories about the prophets and their poems and visions, all arranged to show the cosmic meaning of Israel's history. How God would turn their tragic story of failure and exile into a story of hope and restoration for all nations. And it's that twin message of prophetic warning and of hope that the prophets cared about so much. And it's a message that we still need to hear today. And aren't those good? So helpful, you guys. And they've got them for all the sections of the books of the Bible. They've got them for introductions for every book in the Bible. And they've got them for themes in the Bible. So BibleProject.com, a little shout out to them. And they let us use this, of course, as a strengthening for our church. So I want to give them the shout out. So let's do a little bit of a review. I want you to know, like, again, so where are we? Two weeks ago, we talked about the history. These prophets we're speaking into these actual historical things that we're being told. So when you read all the historical books, the prophets are speaking into those things. So again, where in history are we? Think a thousand years before Christ, the kingdom got divided. Remember God's people in the promised land got divided. And we went through a whole review of this. 2,000 years, that was Abraham. 
before Christ. 1,500 years before Christ, that's Moses. 1,000 years before Christ-ish, David and Solomon. And the, the, the God's united people got divided, and we had a northern and southern kingdom. Let's, uh, this is about 1,000 years before Christ. Now, the prophets began to come to speak into those things. In fact, here's real quick, you saw they listed the prophets, but here are prophets who spoke to the northern kingdom called Israel. You see those three books in your table of contents that are in front of you. And then these are the prophets that were speaking to uh, the people in the southern kingdom. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, you pick. And Zephaniah. And so this is, this is all during this divided kingdom from about 1,000 years before Christ all the way to like, you know, six, let's say 600 years before Christ. And then remember that the uh, Assyria came about the 700s and wiped out those northern, that northern kingdom. So a lot of the stuff you read about is the prophets going, this is coming, you know, and it happens. Assyria wipes out the northern kingdom, the 10 lost tribes of Israel. And then about 600-ish, the Babylonians come and wipe out the southern kingdom, Judah, and take it off into exile in Babylon. Does that sound familiar to some of your, of your stuff? In fact, there are two prophets who then write about being in captivity and exile in Babylon. Well, one prophet, Ezekiel, and then Daniel is not really classically a prophet, but that book is about that time. And so this is around, say, uh, uh, five, five to 600 years before Christ. And then the Persian Empire comes and allows Israel to restore themselves back into the land. And this is around 500 years before Christ. And there are prophets who spoke of that time. That's Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. That's the, the prophets of the restoration and rebuilding. So I go through all of that for you not to remember it, but when you get into the introduction in your, in your study Bible where there's color on every page, if you don't have one of those study Bibles, check with me, I'll get you one where it will tell you all about this, the history that's happening and these prophets are speaking into this specific historical time. If you get that, it's so helpful because then when you read something in Samuel or Kings or the Chronicles and it's about King Hezekiah or whatever and then you realize you read that in Isaiah, you can kind of start putting two and two and three and four together and figure out what the historical context is. So that's helpful to understand all of that. And it's, under, it's helpful to understand the key components of the messages of the prophets. I'm gonna walk through some of that key messages of the prophets, and then we're gonna study a passage together in the time that we have left as an example of what that's about. So here's the message of the books of the prophets. It's threefold. You saw some of it in the video uh, above, but and man, if you get this, everything you read in the prophets, I bet you can put into one of these categories. The first part of it is, come on people, you keep violating the terms of the covenant. And I stole this, that language right from the, the video. You keep violating the terms of the covenant. God said, look, I'm gonna be your God and you'll be my people. I will be faithful to you. So you live in holiness and be faithful to me and you'll be a blessing to the whole world. This is the covenant that God made. We're gonna be in a covenant relationship and you keep violating the terms of that covenant. This is two weeks ago when I called my story of history that history repeats itself. And this, you guys, this, this message, this is why we keep even to this very day talking about our sin because we're a covenant people who are called to live lives that reflect God's goodness, God's justice, God's values, God's generosity. We're people that are to live faithfully in relationship with God, and we keep violating our terms of the covenant. 
And this is what you'll read. So when you read the prophets, you see this condemnation of selfishness, of deceit, of, of um, injustice over and over and over. You see all these things. When you read those in the prophets, it's God saying, come on, people, you've been, you're violating the terms of this. But it's also something we can receive and go, God, where's that in my life, right? That's the start of it. You keep violating the terms of the covenant. But we were made for holiness, so that's a message for us too. But then the prophet's message goes on. The second part of the prophet's message is, and this will not go well. If you violate the terms of the covenant, this will not go well. And ultimately, the day of the Lord is coming. And you read that in the scriptures and you go, oh boy, okay, I don't know what to do with that. Let me find something a little easier to, uh, to read. The day of the Lord is coming. Here's what that's about. Whenever you read the day of the Lord, Know that this is talking about the consequences that will come when we violate our relationship with God and live not according to his righteousness and holiness, but by our own way. That will have an effect and it's not going to be pretty. That's a message of the prophets. Do I need to even say, do we, can we just move on? Do I need to tell anybody that when we live self-centered, selfish, out of relationship with God lives, it doesn't go well. Does anybody still need to hear that message? It doesn't go well because we were made to live in a relationship with him. We were made to live according to his ways. And so the prophets go, it's not going to go well. And ultimately the day of the Lord is going to come. So when you see the day of the Lord, that's about a righteous reckoning. Consequences will happen. And one day, ultimately there's going to be judgment for living outside of God's will. Now, we who have put our hope in Christ, there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ. Thanks be to God for his salvation. And so we don't fear a final judgment of having lived outside of God's plan and God's will. We receive the mercy and grace of God as a free gift because of what Jesus did on the cross. Somebody give me a New Testament amen for that, right? But there will be a final day when all things will be made right. And that's what the day of the Lord is. It's local events happen. Remember he said the prophets are doing a lot of things at once. They're looking and talking about local events where it's not gonna go well now. It's not gonna go well for your next generation and, your, and the generation after that. And it's not gonna go well ultimately because one day there will be an ultimate reckoning. And so the prophets look sort of like a tel at a telescope into history where they see the first hilltop is, hey, the Syrians are coming. And they see the next hilltop, which is, you know, uh, four, six, eight generations from now, and then they see the next hilltop, which is, and in the end, there's a final rest, reckoning and restoration. That's helpful in understanding how prophets work, is that they can actually see a local consequence and a future consequence and an ultimate consequence to our actions. Is that helpful a little bit? In having the way prophets can see the future and what they're talking about. So the point is that unrighteousness will not go unaddressed and so let's align ourselves with God's will. And again, New Testament, amen. Let's align ourselves with the grace of Jesus and thank him for that. So the third point, part of the message that you read in the prophets is, so repent. There's more to say about repentance in a minute. Repent means so turn around. So stop doing what you're doing where it's not going well and start going the other direction. That's what repent means. Turn around, go back the other way. So stop living that way and put your hope in me. <laughs> I just choked on my spit. Uh, we'll edit that out. It's all right. 
and put your hope in me. Go back the other way. Stop putting your hope in these other things. Put your hope in me and in my mercy, restoration will come. I'm going to rebuild everything that you've lost. See, this is a message that we skip to when we read the prophets. Fortunately, we can see it that it's in there. It's like we don't know what to do with all the ugly, gross, scary stuff. But then we're like, God's like, but look at put your trust in me. Turn back to me and it will go well with you. And I will bring life again, even though it hasn't gone well. And again, the prophet is looking through the telescope and going, listen, your year is going to go better if you follow me. Look at, in this next generation, you'll be my people and I'll bring blessing and provision. And then ultimately, even through Christ, everything you need will be brought. And in the end, the restoration of the kingdom will come from heaven onto earth and will spend eternity in the presence of this God in this covenant relationship. So there's this telescoping of all the ways in which restoration will come. So when you read the prophets, you see almost everything you read, you can stick it in one of these categories. Come on, people, you're, you're breaking the covenant. Or it's not gonna go well with you and it's not gonna go unreckoned. Or... So turn around, come to me, and I'm going to bring life again for you. That's all the message of the prophets. So when you read, you know this is one of the things that he's trying to communicate to you. I hope that's helpful. I want to look at an example together about that. And so turn with me to Isaiah chapter 30 in your text, and we'll look at how this sort of unfolds and see what God's speaking to us about from this particular passage. Isaiah 30, grab a Bible underneath the pew if you haven't done so. Somebody give me a page number. 709 for Isaiah chapter 30. 709. And, you know, we really, I could have thrown a dart at... um, at my Bible and figured out where to to talk about this. And you'll see this text exemplifies the thing we're talking about. Isaiah chapter 30. Now, Isaiah, what's Isaiah? Here's the context. Isaiah is around 700 years before Christ. Isaiah is writing during a time where around the 700s, the Assyrian nation, before the Babylonians took them over, before the Persians took over the Babylonians. Oh, you should have a study Bible. This stuff is right there on the page. It's right in front of you. So good. Uh, If you, so Isaiah, around 700 years before Christ, he's speaking to the southern tribes, Jerusalem, Judah. He lived in Jerusalem, probably. This prophet did. Apparently walked around naked for three years. Whatever teaching technique works, I guess. And uh, he's talking to the southern tribes, but he's watching the Assyrians come against the northern tribes, and then during his ministry, they wiped out the northern tribes. He saw it go down, and, but he's talking now to the southern tribes going, do you not see how it didn't go well? And so this is the context of what Isaiah is talking about. He's like, we're in danger of losing everything the way the northern tribes did. And so look at me at verse 30, and this is such a prophetic thing, right? Uh, chapter 30. Verse 1, you know, the little title in mine is, woe to the obstinate nation. I love that. So look at just the first couple of verses. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine. Um, do, do you see already? Like, what do you, why are you, why? Come on, people. You're, you violated the terms of the covenant. 
Why do you carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me to look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge? Now, look at, you're like, wait, okay, wait, already we're talking about Egypt and what's this all about? Well, when you read the historical books and you have a study Bible, you can find the cross references and look and read about what's happening in the story. But what happens in the story is, right, Assyria is coming down and, 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 and bothering them, and the, uh, the, the, they're like, hey, why don't we make an, a, an alliance and protect ourselves from Assyria? And so the Israelites, or the, the, the Judahites, the southern tribes are like, no, you know, it'd be good. Let's go to Egypt and get those guys on our side. But the prophets are warning, don't do that. That's not an alliance I want you to make. I want you to follow me. And they're like, uh, yeah, I'm not sure you're going to come through. We're going to go get Egypt to help us. Right? Okay. But we'll, I'll probably preach it later, or I might run out of time. But does that not already resonate with you? Oh, man, I'm facing a threat. I don't know if God's going to come through. Let me create an alliance. Let me figure it out. Let me do something to take care of myself. So he goes, why are you making alliances that are not mine by my spirit? Verse 1, heaping sin upon sin. Verse 2, you go down to Egypt without consulting me. You look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge, to Egypt's shade. Like, let Egypt cover us. Listen, think of the Psalms that say, oh, no, it is the Lord God who is our safe refuge, who shadows us under his mighty wing, right? They're like, yeah, or we can check with Egypt, Right? Verse 3, they've got officials in Zoan. They've got envoys in Hanes. But everybody will be put to shame because of a people useless to them. He's like, look, at they look powerful. But they're useless to you because that's an alliance I haven't asked you to make. They bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. That is right out of the prophet's playbook. You're breaking the terms of the covenant, and it's not going to go good for you. To walk in righteousness. That's just the first couple of verses. Jump to verse 12 with me. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you've rejected this message, relied on oppression, depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. Jump down to 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But, what does it say? But what? But you would have none of it. Remember the the prophet's message? So repent, turn to me. And it's going to go well. Life's going to come. He goes, so in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you didn't want any of it. You said, no, no, we got fast horses. That's how we're going to get out of this deal. And he goes on to talk about, no, you're going to be left like alone on top of a hill, like an empty banner after the army's been destroyed. Verse 18, yet the Lord longs, here it is, here it is, here's where we skip to. Come on now, church. Verse 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. Okay, verse 18, read it again. What's God's desire in all this and all the unrighteousness and all you breaking our covenants and all of us not going well for us in the land? What's the Lord's desire? 
Oh, he longs to be gracious to you and therefore he will rise up in power is essentially the meaning of this, to show you compassion for the Lord. He will rise up in power. There's a word right now, Holy Spirit, right? There's a word for somebody right now. He will rise up, that's warrior language. He will rise up like a mighty warrior and beat back whatever is coming against this way in which you're living. He will rise up to show you compassion. He will break through whatever shame you're living in, whatever ruts you're living in, whatever uh, oppression you're under. He will rise up for you, church. Is that somebody's word today? He will rise up to show you his compassion. He will fight for your heart. If that's a word for you, you write that in your Bible. You write it in the Bible you're in right now. Go, this is a word for me, and you date it, and you take the home that little cheap Bible. Where was I? 18, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And then look what he says. Look at this call. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, verse 19, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity, the water of affliction. In other words, like it's like you're going through prison. You're just like, there's just bread and water is all you have. Your teachers will be hidden from you no more. In other words, you won't be lost. With your own eyes, you'll see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. This is the way of the covenant. This is the way. Walk in it. And then you will desecrate your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold and you will throw them away like a menstrual cloth saying, away with you. I will live no longer for something other than God himself. And isn't that a, just a great, this is just one, like it's three quarters of this, hell and half of one chapter in one prophet. Is that not the richest stuff? Now, here's what this text is teaching us. There's a progressive revelation about some truth that is true in human behavior. It's a pattern in human behavior. It's true in every context and it's true in ours as well. And I want to walk through it as an application to this, not only the prophets as a whole, but to this particular passage that the Lord might be speaking to you about. And here's this pattern of behavior that this um, teaches us. Number one, fear and insecurity leads to taking matters into our own hands. Fear and insecurity leads us to taking matters into our own hands. This defines the sin. It defines the problem. It doesn't help you right away, but you realize, oh yeah, that's what's happening. Fear and insecurity, they, they cause us to grab things into our own hands outside of God's will. Verse one in the chapter says, you know, woe to you, obstinance. He calls it obstinance. Those who carry out plans that are not mine, they form alliances, but not by my spirit, verse one says. It's like we got to grab a hold of something. We have to take care of ourselves. In verse 15 and 16, where repentance and rest is our salvation and quietness and trust is our strength, but you don't want any of it. You're like, no, never mind. I got a, I got a fast horse. Like, that's how I'm going to take care of it. I got a fast horse. Because when we're fearful and when we're insecure, we grasp for things. It's part of human nature. You go, I got a plan or I got to find a plan or I got to, man, this is us. Is this not us? I, that my, my illustration around this, I can't, I don't have time to share the whole thing. I've shared it many times before, but God taught me so deeply and powerfully just 10 years, less than 10 years ago when I was on sabbatical, remember, and I planned this big epic trip and I was fearful 
that, you know, my plan, like I needed so badly to have this experience with God. And remember the plane broke down on the way to Europe. And I was so angry that I remember like screaming at the, the workers, the maintenance people working on the plane in Chicago because my plan was falling apart. I was dialing up like, give me the, give me the vice president of customer relations at American Airlines. Like I was livid, I was out of control. And my wife was standing back a really good safe distance watching the meltdown. And here's a marriage tip. She didn't say anything right then in the moment. But allow God to do his thing and the Holy Spirit said to me, really? Are you gonna let go of this experience? And gave me this verse from Psalm, from Isaiah 30. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. How's that gonna go? If you're in insecurity, we grab our own ways. And the only reason I tell you that doesn't solve our problems, but listen, we are gonna be called, friends, to stay present with that reality. If we recognize present, I'm feeling fearful, God. I'm feeling insecure, and I'm wanting to grab my own way. If we stop and ask, is this alliance from you? Is this job interview what you need me to do? Is this business arrangement what you need? Is this person that I want to date who you want me to date? Like, like is this relationship engaged in something that you want? Should, can I get present and go, is this what you want, God, or am I finding my own way out of my fear and insecurity? If we just stay present to that moment, we will stay out of all kind of trouble, church, right? So fear and insecurity cause us to take matters in our own hands This is what it leads to. Taking then, number two, taking matters into our our own hands is essentially then creating idols in which we put our hope. Taking matters in our own hands is creating idols. When we think of idols, we like, you know, we think of them creating like the little totem pole or the little wood or the little whatever animal, the golden calf in the Old Testament or whatever. That's not just what idols are. Our idols are people. He's like, like our Egypt's like, let me go to Egypt and get some help because I'm afraid God's not going to come through. Our idols are comfort. And part of the text I didn't read here, the, the, the people cried out. God said, I hear you crying out. Tell the prophets to stop calling us to the Lord. Like, give us easy things. Tell us easy stuff, please. We pursue comfort. That's part of our idol. Like, oh, if I can just numb some of this, then I'm going to be okay. Our effort, like, let me get a fast horse. I got fast horses. I'm good. Our accomplishments, those are all idols of ours. That doesn't mean don't work out your life, friends. It means work it out in consultation with your king. Because you take it into your own hands and fear and security doesn't go well. And so it's like those things become idols for us. This is what one author said about idols. We worship idols, people, comfort, our effort, whatever. We worship idols because we perceive they have the power to give us something. And we can't take the chance that God's not going to give us what we're longing for. This goes back to putting our hope in him. Just in case God's not enough. So we take matters in our own hands and that's creating idols. Then the third thing that happens is, all right, so trusting in those idols means that we're not gonna walk with God. And if we're not gonna walk with God, we're not gonna experience God. And that is exactly the opposite of what we need. We get fearful, 
take things into our own hands. We take things into our own hands, we're creating idols where we're putting our trust in something other than God. And when we do that, God gets further and further away. That's the text says something about heaping sin upon sin. We just get further and further away from God. And it's exactly, it's a terrifying doom loop. And so the next part of it is just related and not experiencing God then in our daily walk leaves us without life and, uh, and peace. Number four, not experiencing God in our daily walk leaves us without the life and peace that we're hoping for, without the shalom that we need, without the peace of God on our lives, this rest. And so it's so ironic that what we long for, we're gonna miss. And that text is full of those examples of, man, this is what happens then. You rejected this, and so this sin's gonna become for you like a high wall. This is verse 13, cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. This is not life and peace. And so this is what the prophets are trying to tell us. And they've always included that final message. Yeah, come on out, Ben. We're gonna worship now in just a moment. This is what the prophets are trying to tell us. And they always add this piece, that God, in his mercy, calls us to repentance and rest. Look at verse 16 again. Throw that up there for me, Micah, if you would. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. That's the opposite of taking things into our own hands, of worshiping other idols. In other words, putting our hope that other things are gonna meet the needs and fearful that God's not gonna come through. The prophets always come to that message of saying, look at you repent and you put your hope in me, then restoration will come. So repent and rest. This is God's call on us. This is the word of the prophets then in 700 or 600 years before Christ, 500 years before Christ, and this is the word to us. Repent and rest. With all the fear and anxiety, with all that we're facing, with all of the attacks coming our way, with all of the, in, the, the, uh, those, that, that which is unsure in our lives. Repent and rest. Repentance means I will turn back to you and our covenant, and I'll turn back to your way, and I'll stop this doom loop, taking it into my own hands, creating idols that will maybe give me what I need, getting further and further away from God. No, I'm gonna turn around and arrest that spiral away from you, God. And I can rely, and repentance is, and I'm gonna rely on and expect your mercy. Repent is turning around and going back into the arms of the Father. And there we find rest. Rest, stop fixing, stop striving, stop scheming, stop manipulating, stop worrying, stop shame, shaming myself, stop acquiring more idols where I think that that's gonna get me what I'm longing for. No, rest is believing, rehearsing the truth. Remember this from last week? Rehearsing the truth that God is at work. That he's going before me, coming behind me, and he is with me. And so we wait. And peace is what comes. So even this morning, church, as we enter into worship, I'm going to give you the call of the prophets. Repent, turn around, re-engage in your relationship with God, and then receive the rest that he brings.
That's what you're longing for. Even in these next few minutes, you get some chance to do some business with God. Let's stand together and let's worship in response to the message.